This is Susanna Hills Podcast. We hope this message becomes a revelation in your heart and will encourage you to live a Christ-centered life. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Here's today's message. Great. It really is a great joy, a great privilege, great honor to be able to be with you and to be able to share with you. So thank you for the invite. So you have met us. Cole introduced us wonderfully. Uh, I do still scream for the green and gold, the springboka. And I can a bit Afrikaans praat, ek het die accent, maar nie die, die vocabulary, eh? Alright, but um, yeah, and of course coming from New Zealand, we're not quite used to this heat, eh? So uh, this is quite new for us, we've forgotten. We did have six years in Johannesburg, but it uh, doesn't get anywhere near Clarkstorpe. Great, so I'm going to hopefully pick up and carry on a little bit where maybe John left off. That was so good, John. So appreciate that, and uh, again, we just realize, yeah, how valuable it is. Eh? Sometimes we, you know, we, we know truth, but in our familiarity of it, we can often lose the essence of it, and John brought that wonderfully back again this morning, of just the power of unity and of teamwork. So what I want to share this morning is entitled Thriving in Ministry, and there's a big difference between thriving and merely surviving. Why? Because I've been there. I've known what it is to thrive to some degree, but I've also known what it is to just hang in there, hoping either that Jesus will return or he'll take me home. (laughs) And uh, the reality is there are pressures in ministry. And uh, we certainly have come through a very difficult time with COVID and everything, as much as it is for you in South Africa. It was the same for us in New Zealand. Uh, Churches took strain. But the gospel continued to go out. God's kingdom continued to advance. But as challenging as those times have been, the reality is we still are living in very challenging times. And that's obviously post-COVID, but just everything that is happening, not only in this nation, but in the nations around the world. We are living in tough times. And being a church leader, can I say, is not for the faint-hearted. You have to agree with that. There are pressures all around us. Whether they're cultural pressures, societal pressures, economic pressures, not even to mention the pressures or the pressure and the presence of our enemy, the devil, who prowls around looking for any opportunity, not only to destroy, but to discourage, to get us to throw the towel in. And we've had the privilege of being in full-time church-paid ministry for 29 years. The church we're leading is the third church that we've led but we've been on five eldership teams. And so we understand something of the pressures that go with church leadership. And one thing I do know is that the enemy is forever looking for any opportunity to get in to get us to quit. But God, eh? But God and His call. And so the truth is that God has never called us just to endure life and ministry. I believe He wants us to enjoy what He's called us to. And so rather than just surviving the call of God, God wants us to thrive in it. Because you know what? When we are thriving, then our ministries and our churches thrive as well. I believe that with all of my heart. A little bit of what John was saying down. That oil, the anointing flowing down from leadership to the people. And so let me get into it because I've only got 30 minutes and I've probably used about 90 seconds of that already. So... But I want to share with you 12 reflections, 12 lessons 
that I've learned or certainly am learning when it comes to ministry, leading God's people. And uh, some of them are really basic, but as I've said already, even on what John shared, there was nothing new, but boy, did we need to hear that again this morning. Eh? And I trust that will be the same for you. All right, so let's jump straight in. 12 reflections, 12 lessons. The first one is this. You're in this, in terms of ministry, for the long haul. Please know that. Please understand that. And because we're in this for the long haul, I want to say to you, hold the line. Stay the course no matter what. Remember, it's not how you start out in ministry that's important. It's how you finish that is most important. Eh? And uh, I don't know about you, but I want to finish well. I want to finish strong. You know, Steve Farrow wrote that book, Finishing Strong. And he did, through his research, discovered that one out of ten Christians will actually finish their race well, will finish strong. Now, if that's true for believers, it's probably true for those in ministry as well. Huh? And so I don't want to crawl over that finish line. I don't want to hang in the, on there white-knuckled, hoping that Jesus will come back. But no, I want to run over that line. bit like Paul. Huh? I love what Paul said in uh, 2 Timothy 4, 7, where he says, I've fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There was a man who finished well. He finished strong. He understood. He was in this for the long haul, and he wasn't going to allow anything to get in the way of that. Uh, and so I want to go out with a bang, eh? <laughs> Not a whimper. And so what's going to help us stay the course? Now, I told you I've got 12 things, but I've got a few subpoints on this first one. So bear with me. What's going to enable us to stay the course, to finish well? Number one, our characters. Let me remind you again, it's always got to be character before charisma. I think church leaders are good at charisma, many of them, but actually character is what God looks at and what He looks for. Someone said this, a credible message needs a credible messenger because charisma without character is catastrophe. And I believe that. Eh? And so character is about our integrity. And that's why the smaller the gap between your personal life or private life and your public life, the smaller that gap, the greater your integrity. Another one that will help us stay the course, secondly, is accountability. Again, let me say, no one is beyond the need to be accountable. No one. Let's face it, many men, men and women with greater anointings, greater capacities, greater giftings than us, have fallen because this thing of accountability hasn't been in place. And the truth is sin thrives in isolation. That's why we've got to be accountable. We've got to hold ourselves accountable and we've got to or be accountable and we've got to hold others accountable. I think church leaders sometimes are good at holding others accountable, but not always willing to be accountable to someone else. Accountability is key. Following on from that, let me say, and it's basic and we know this, but don't flirt with sin. Don't see how close you can get to the edge when it comes to sin. No, the Bible says flee from sin. And sometimes it's important that we not just fight, but we actually flee as well. Huh? And this is on, on one of those occasions. Because you know what? When we flirt with it, it's, and sin is the one thing that's going to handicap us. It's the one thing that's going to derail the longevity of your ministry. Please hear that. Sin. And that's why... David, or whoever the writer was in Psalm 68, uh, 66 verse 18, talks about 
Don't cherish sin in your heart, say. Stay away from it. Why? Because the devil's intention is to have you. And he'll use sin. He'll use temptation. But equally know that Jesus is praying for you. As he was praying for Peter. Huh? That your faith may not fail. Huh? Luke twenty-two thirty-one. Another thing, if we're going to stay the course, is yes, have a good work ethic. But keep the balance. Keep the balance. And the thing about ministry is it can lend itself to laziness. But on the other hand, ministry can also become your mistress. And you don't want either of those. And I don't know how many times I've fallen into the latter, where ministry has become my mistress. Why? Because I've allowed ministry to fuel me, rather than Jesus and the life of the Holy Spirit to fuel me. And uh, otherwise, you know, if ministry fuels you, then the work of the Lord becomes more important than the Lord of the work. And you don't want that. Eh? And so if we're going to have a good work ethic, if you're going to keep the balance, learn to say no to the things that you don't need to do in ministry. Huh? Uh, why? Because being busy is not always about being productive. And I don't know how many times I've, I've found myself worth and value in being busy. And I've thought the busier I am, the more I must be pleasing God. Until God got a hold of me. And literally told me, I'm just chasing my tail, not bearing the fruit that he wants to be, because I'm busy with the wrong things. Eh? Alright, another one about just staying the course is, learn to operate in your strengths. Again, know what your gifts are, know where your strengths lie, and operate in those. Otherwise, you're just going to exhaust yourself. Eh? And so, stay in your lane when it comes to ministry. Don't try and be everything to everyone. It's impossible. Stay in your lane and let your diary reflect your strengths. Go back and have a look. What you're giving your time to, are they the things that God's called you to? Are they things that fuel you or do they just tire you and exhaust you? And another one is just stay fresh if we're going to stay the course. Stay fresh. How do you stay fresh? For me, first and foremost, it's time with my Father in heaven. And if, if I'm only coming into his presence for the next sermon, <laughs> or, or, or study, as good as those things are, preparation and study, then I've missed the intimacy that he wants to, to share with me. And so that's an important thing. Time with God eh? in his presence. Make it a priority. If you're going to stay fresh, you have to have leave, adequate leave. Because that's the thing that's going to ultimately charge you and recharge you. And I've learned that when you're tired, you make bad decisions. Eh? And I've been guilty of those things. So find time for recreation. Recreate. That's what it does to you. And uh, what does that for you? What recreates you? Give yourself to that. Um, value that. Make time for those things. And then, of course, the other basic things is have you get enough sleep. Don't try and, you know... Let the candle burn at both ends. Um, rest adequate. Eat healthily. Exercise properly. Why? Because we're in this for the long, for the long ride, hey? for the long haul. Don't forget that. Someone said that if your output exceeds your input, then your upkeep becomes your downfall. And uh, we don't want to be guilty of that. Hey? So it's important we put margins in place that we're able to live unhurried lives. 
I'm speaking from experience. I wish I had all of this. I'd heard this 10 years ago. It would have helped me. But Richard Foster says, hurry is not of the devil. It is the devil. And I tell you, man, we can just chase, chase, chase. When God says, slow down, come and sit at my feet and enjoy me. That's how we're going to stay fresh. Eh? And when we stay fresh, that's when we stay sharp. And our anointings, our giftings have to be sharp. Eh? Otherwise, we, you know, it's like trying to take a blunt axe to something. We have to be sharp and stay sharp. Staying fresh keeps us on the cutting edge of what God's called us to do, as opposed to settling down or settling for the status quo. That's what happens when, we, when we're tired. And so, key for this is lead from the inside out. What do I mean by that? Minister out of the overflow of what God is doing in your life and not from the reserves, eh? because those soon dry up. And it's why spiritual disciplines are so important, so you can be drawing from the fountain of life. And then the last thing I want to say on this, of, of staying the course, is pace yourself. Eh? Pace yourself. Why? Because we're in this for the long haul. And so manage your energy even more, I'd say, than you manage your time. Of course, managing your time is important, but manage your energy. Because if you overspend yourself, you know what? You stop thriving. And God wants us to thrive. Eh? Manage your diary or your Google calendar or whatever you use. Don't let it manage you. Don't let it control you. You manage it. And how do you do that? By weighting the right things. Ministry is a marathon. We know that. It's not a sprint. And that's why 40 solid years far outweigh five exhilarating years, but exhausting years. Eh? We're in this for the long haul. Stay the course. All right, that was my first point. Thankfully, there are not another five or six subheadings under each of these. But for me, that, if I looked at it, and I know that all of these I trust are important. And again, it's not an exhaustive list. You would be able to add other things. But for me, as I've looked back, 29 years, man, I'm in this for the long haul. And I don't want to burn out. I don't want to lose my way. I don't want to get distracted. I want to hold the line. I want to stay the course. Because this is what God's called me to, as He's called you to. All right. Second thing, second lesson, second reflection, is that the church that you lead is first and foremost His church. And I loved what John, even with leadership, it's not my church. Or I'm the leader. No, we're in this together, but ultimately Jesus is the head of His church. Eh? He is the one that is building His church. And you know what? We have this incredible privilege of co-laboring with Him. Eh? What a privilege. What a joy. And if Jesus is building the church, then let me remind you our role, yes, and all that we're called to do, equipping the saints and prayer and the ministry and the Word and all, and all of that, but ultimately our role as believers is to make disciples. And yet so often we get it wrong. Hey, We want to build the church and then expect Jesus to make disciples. But it doesn't work that way. Hey? And, uh, and so even in the good times, you remember it's His church. He's building it. Don't take the credit for what He is building and doing. But equally in the tough times, those times when you just think, God, is this thing worth it? This is so hard. Remember, He's building it. And you can go to Him and say, Lord, this is your church. I don't know what I'm doing anymore. But I trust you know what you're doing. And I submit my life 
and my leadership and my ways to you as a co as a co-laborer with you all right it's his church eh? let's never take the credit or the glory because he won't share his glory with with anyone but himself number three interesting what john talked about i didn't know he was going to talk about this but god is committed to team in fact team is his idea God does very little outside of team. I've come to realize that. Very little. You know, even the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is a wonderful picture of team. You know, God may have raised up a Moses to deliver Israel, but He put an Aaron and a Hur alongside Him to do what He was called to do. Because why? Moses could never do it on his own. And his father-in-law Jethro actually has to help him understand that as well. By selecting capable men who could lead 50s, 100s, thousands. Why? Because God is into team. He believes in team. Remember in Exodus chapter 17, there's this wonderful story of Joshua fighting the Amalekites in the valley with Moses standing on the mountaintop, praying, looking to God. And the story is that every time Moses' arms got tired, the Amalekites would start defeating the Israelites. And then you see again this picture of team of the same Aaron and her holding Moses' arms up so that Joshua and the, and the army eventually overcame the Amalekites. And so the question is then, well, who won, the, who won the battle? You know, was it Joshua fighting in the valley or was it Moses fighting in the spiritual realm on the hill? Well, of course, the answer is both, which is a great picture again of teamwork, eh? You know, Jesus demonstrated the value of team when he chose his disciples. And not just to help him do what he needed to do, but also to carry his message and his ministry forward. And they did that well. So much so, Acts tells us that they turned the world upside down. But I love the example of Jesus, is that he always built away from himself because he believed in team. He would do it, then he would show his disciples, then he released them to do it. The importance of team. And I want to say those who build towards themselves have no appreciation of team or the benefits of team. That's the bottom line. It's why they do it. In fact, I'll go as far as saying that a weak team is far more effective than one strong individual because God is committed to team. And also because we all have blind spots, don't we? We don't have everything we need. No one individual has all the goods. Be they gifts, anointings, talents, whatever it may be. But together, we have most of what we need. And that's the importance of team. And in fact, when Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 1.7, and he says, Therefore you, the Corinthians, do not lack any spiritual gift as you wait for our Lord Jesus to be, required, uh, to be revealed. In your togetherness, you don't lack any spiritual gift which is needed to build and to do what God's called you to do. And so that's why team is vital to the ongoing success of any church. And why teamwork is just as important. Eh? Being a team player as opposed to, a, as opposed to an individualist is vitally important if we can achieve and accomplish all that God has called us to. And so team is a privilege. Please see that. Please know that it is a privilege. And it is something to celebrate 
and not tolerate team. Still with me? Great. We're going to try and get through these a little quicker now. Number four. Touched on it already, but let's remember that the, one of the main responsibilities of any eldership team is prayer and the ministry of the word. And you see that in Acts chapter 6 verse 4 where deacons were chosen to do, to serve, to wait on tables, to do all the different things that needed to be done so that the apostles could give themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And, um, and this is where we ultimately find vision for our churches, isn't it? Which is, of course, the responsibility of the elders. It's through prayer and God's word. And that's why our greatest fight in ministry is the fight of faith. And again, why we cannot be busy with the wrong things. So important. As elders, we have to make decisions. And yes, we make them by observation as we, as we see what God is doing, but we also need to make them by revelation. And where does revelation come from? Prayer, God's Word. Getting into God's Word. All right. Number five. This is one we don't particularly like, but it's an important one. And that is learn to live with criticism as a leader. Huh? In fact, let criticism become your bedfellow. Why? Because it is par the course. You can't escape it. And so if you can't escape it, learn to live with it. Because it will happen. I mean, it, it's only going to be in heaven one day that we're not going to have criticism. But while we are on earth, criticism is, is, is part of the course. Eh? And so a couple of thoughts here around criticism. Firstly, most criticism has a snippet of truth. I want to say be prepared and willing to take that snippet and make whatever adjustment God wants you to make through what is said. Secondly, don't defend yourself too quickly if criticism comes your way. Because isn't that the difference between sheep and goats? But. When someone says something, you say, yeah, 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 but. Be careful of the buts. Goats but. Sheep don't have to but, eh? All right. And also to say and remind you that personal attacks are not generally personal, eh? There are always other factors at play here. You know, when someone says, well, everyone is saying this, or everyone feels that, let me tell you, it's not everyone. And don't buy into that, that everyone is. And often we felt that when people give you, say, a reason to leave the church, it's never really the reason they're giving. Yeah? They like to shroud it with all spirituality, like God has told me. You know, when someone says, God has told me, I've got to stand back and say, well, who am I to fight with God? If you're asking what I think, a perspective, I'll share it. But if you're telling me God has told you, I don't want to get in the way of God. But let me tell you, most times, not most, a lot of the times, it's not God. They got offended. They climbed the myth tree, whatever it is. Um, so just be aware of that. Eh? Not everyone is saying it. And then learn to recover quickly from criticism. Because it will happen. But recover from it. Eh? And for goodness sake, don't pick up an offense. Remember, offense is neither right or wrong. It's what you do with it. Eh? And as leaders, we can't afford to be picking up offenses or carrying offenses or grudges in our hearts. Eh? All right, so criticism is real. We don't like it. But there can be some value in it if we're looking and we prepare to look for the snippet that might come through it. Number six, probably following on from that, when, whenever you face difficulties, challenges, 
Go to the source of healing rather than the source of pain. Huh? Because otherwise, if you go to the source of pain, you're going to just end up nursing and rehearsing the issue, the challenge, the pain, whatever it might be. Now, I've come to learn two things. When I've been attacked, when I've been criticized, even betrayed, hard to believe those sort of things happen in the church, but they do. After 29 years, I've realized that sheep do bite, eh? They have teeth, all right? But here's two things that I've learned to do when I come under those sort of things. Number one, I guard my heart. And I want to say to you, guard your heart. Proverbs 4.23, why? Because it is the wellspring of life. And in fact, some translations say, guard it with all vigilance, eh? Because it's that important. Everything else flows out of your heart. If your heart gets sick, you're in trouble. If your heart gets angry or, hurt or, or um, hard, you're in trouble. And so guard your heart. And then secondly, pour your heart out to God. Wow. Come to Him as you are, not as you think you should be, as C.S. Lewis said. Eh? Come as you are. And I tell you, I found the greatest place is me just to pour my heart out and even at times shake my fist at God or whatever it is. And He's up to it. He's big enough to cope with it. But I tell you, there's such release in doing that. And you see that, the psalmist, Psalm 62, verse 8. We're told to pour out our hearts to Him, to God. For God is our refuge. Lamentations 2, 19. Pour out your heart like water in the presence of the Lord. Don't hold on to things. Don't even try and deal it internally or with your spouse or leaders. Go to God first and foremost eh? and pour your heart out. Because when we do that, that's when we live here. We live healed and we've got to live healed and it's also where we're now able to strengthen ourselves and encourage ourselves in the Lord and David was so good at that eh? remember in 1 Samuel chapter 30 where he comes back with his army and he realizes that um, Negev I think it was or Ziklag had been the I think it was the was it the, the Philistines or the I, I can't remember the story the Amalekites come they raid the, 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 the town, they take all the wives and all the children away. And you just see these words in verse 6, 1 Samuel 36. He says, but David found strength in the Lord his God. Wow. Which literally means that he made himself strong in the Lord. And you know what? We need to do that. Huh? And so fight discouragement. Fight it with everything you have. Why? Because God can't use a discouraged man or woman. I mean, he's God and he can. But I want to tell you, when I've been in those places of discouragement, I've been of no use to man or beast, never mind God. Eh? And so fight discouragement. I want to say to you, speak to yourself as David spoke to himself. Remember in Psalm 42 when he says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? And then he answers the question and he gives three things he did. Where he says, put your hope in God. For I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember Him and His ways. Three things that David did to encourage and to strengthen himself. And you know the statistics are that those who end up leaving the ministry don't leave generally. Most don't leave because of sin or because of financial irregularities or anything like that. They leave because of discouragement. And that's why it's the greatest, biggest weapon that the enemy will use. Eh? 
He wants us to quit. Bottom line. And if that's the greatest weapon the enemy uses, let me tell you the greatest gift that you can give to your church, to your people, is a happy and a content you. Best gift you can give them. Eh? And how does that happen? It happens by you enjoying life, you enjoying ministry, and not being so intense, eh? not taking yourself so seriously. Because I was guilty of that. Eh? I thought the more intense I was, the more spiritual I was. God forbid. Eh? Number seven. You still with me? Another five minutes. When you stop hearing the voice of one, you start listening to the voices of many. And it ends up, if you're not careful, those voices begin to dictate who you are, what you should do, shouldn't do, etc., etc. And I, again, I mean, you know this, but you'll never please all the people all the time. Eh? So don't give in to the voices of many. Isn't it amazing how com complaints speak a whole lot louder than compliments? Eh? You know, you can receive a hundred compliments and one complaint. What sticks? The complaint, isn't it? And that's why we have to live our lives to the audience of one. Eh? Otherwise, again, we'll just be trying to run around pleasing everyone in the hope that we're pleasing God. Where Paul says you cannot please both God and man. You've got to choose. Eh? Number eight, beware of comparisons. Oh, I've been guilty of that in the early days of ministry. Because let me tell you, comparisons or comparing is a real curse. Eh? And so comparing ourselves with others or our churches with others, you know, will only produce one of two things. One, it will make us proud because somehow we think we're doing better than, than someone else. Or on the other hand, we'll feel like a failure because we're just not doing as well as someone else. And we'll want to go back to fishing like Peter did. Eh? No, celebrate your, unique, your uniqueness. Celebrate your unique successes rather than falling into the trap of comparing or even competing with others or churches. Eh? All right, so beware of that. Eh? It's very real. We all want to do well. We all want our churches to, to succeed. But let's not, let's not do it by comparing ourselves with others. Number nine. Now this one I would have liked to have spoken more into, but I'm, I'm not going to because of the sake of time. But marriages get mauled in ministry. Mauled. M-A-U-L-E-D. They get mauled in ministry. And so, let me speak to the men for a moment, because if Cole was standing up here, my wife, she would speak to the ladies. So, let me speak to the men. And that is, men, your wife is first and foremost your first sheep. Eh? And her condition is not just a reflection of your marriage or of your husbandry, but it's also a reflection of your church. Bottom line. It's a reflection of your church. Because if your wife is not flourishing, you know what God would say to you? Where are you? Adam. Bartus. Gareth. Where are you? And, you know, your marriage is more important than your ministry. <laughs> Please never forget that. Why? Because your marriage qualifies you for your ministry. Or on the other hand, it disqualifies you from the things that God has called you to. 
And so make time for your spouse, for your husband, and of course for your wife. Make time for them. Give them your best time, your freshest time. Not the dregs, not what's left over because you've given your time to everyone else. No, she, he is your first sheep. Don't ever forget that. And so celebrate your marriage. Celebrate. It's something to celebrate. And celebrate the wonder of it. And use every opportunity, every occasion to celebrate it. Because it's that important. It's important to God. And it's important to what He's wanting to do and what you're needing to mod model. Huh? And let me just say one more thing to the men, because I've been guilty of this. Is keep your wife on, on the journey with you hey, in ministry. Don't assume that she knows what you know or what you're thinking. Cole is my greatest helpmeet. I would not want to be in ministry without her because she has incredible perspectives that I need to hear. And the times that I haven't been willing to hear or I've been too busy to even include her in the conversations are the times when I've banged my head, head the most. And so, let them be a part of your journey. And communicate, communicate, communicate. Darling, write that down and remind me when we get back. Communicate, communicate, communicate. She's taking lots of notes here. Keep them with you on the journey because they're part of this journey. They're part of the race that God's called you to run. And as John said, this is the first and foremost, the greatest team, husband and wife. Then with your kids, then your elders, then your leaders, your people. That's what's going to change this world. Okay, number 10. Don't avoid the valley of the shadow of death. <laughs> because after the test comes the banquet. There, there is a table that awaits you in the presence of your enemies. And so learn to live in and appreciate both the privilege as well as the pain of ministry. Because both are real. But sometimes I tend to, and maybe we all could, we lean towards thinking more about the pain, weighing up the cost, measuring, instead of appreciating and valuing this incredible privilege we have. Huh? It was Charles Spurgeon who said, why stoop to be a king when God's called you to be a preacher or a leader? Why stoop to be a king? As great as that may be in people's eyes, let me tell you, preaching God's word, leading God's people is the greatest privilege we could ever do or be involved in. So there's the privilege, but don't duck the price. Don't try and avoid the price because it is real. Unless we're willing to deny ourselves, pay the price, we can't, we can't follow Jesus effectively. And so in saying that though, focus on what ministry gives you rather than what it seemingly takes away from you. All right? Then you'll enjoy the privilege of it. Number 11, coming to an end, choose your battles. Wow, such an important one, huh? Fight the battles you're meant to fight and ignore the others. Because the enemy as well will use every little distraction, every little issue to get you to fight illegitimate battles. Things that God hasn't called you to fight. And when we fight those things, it's not only a distraction, but it drains us. And uh, we can't afford to live drained, eh? We've got to stay fresh, as we've already said. And also, just so to say, remember, people are not the enemy. Eh? <laughs> people are not the enemy. Let's not forget that. And then lastly, forge friendships in ministry. Because I want to tell you, ministry can be lonely. Eh? 
And the reason it's often lonely is that we find it hard to let our guard down. Why? Because we know so many people are watching us. So many eyes are on us, watching our every move. And so we're always living in this sense of, a, of, of, of alertness that we, we can't be ourselves. We can't be real. We can't be vulnerable. And, uh, and I tell you, we get there, man, we're in trouble. Eh? And so, yes, you've got to find a safe place. You've got to have people around you, friends around you that know you, that trust you, where you can let your hair down, where you can be real, where you can be honest, where there's no pretense, where they will accept you as you are. You need those friends. Because what's the alternative to that? I guess it's isolation. Eh? And that's a dangerous alternative. John touched on that. All right. So let me conclude. Some reflections, some lessons that I've learned, am learning, that hopefully will allow you, will allow us to, to not just finish our race, but can I say to finish it strong and to be successful in what God has called us to. But again, be careful how you measure success. Eh? Success is not how big your church is. Or how many cars are in the parking lot? Or how many musicians you have on a worship team? Or even how many worship teams you have? No, no. Success is, is your spouse flourishing? Are your children obedient to you and honoring to God? Um, have you been faithful to that which God's given you? Put in your hand what He's called you to. What is the legacy that you're leaving? What's going to come behind you? the example you are, etc., etc., etc. That is success, eh? Bearing fruit that ultimately lasts. Not that's here today and gone tomorrow, but that which is here for all eternity. I close, and all preachers apparently have three closes, so I think this is my third close now. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 9, verse 26 and 27. I'm reading it from the Message Bible. Paul writing, and he says this, I don't know about you, but I'm running hard for the finish line. I'm giving it everything I've got. No sloppy living for me. I'm staying alert and in top condition. I'm not going to get caught napping, telling everyone else all about it, and then missing out myself. And I trust that we could echo those words, eh? because we want to finish well. And not only finish well, but while we're in this, we want to thrive in it. Eh? It's the greatest joy, it's the greatest privilege that any of us could have been called to. And uh, let's not lose our way because we end up focusing on the wrong things or other things rather than on the things that God has for us. All right, can I pray? And then I'll hand over to, to Gareth. Father, as we sit or stand before you this morning lord we thank you for this incredible privilege that you've given us the the task and the responsibility you've given us the trust to be able to care for your people and we want to say what an honor lord what a privilege to be those who can shepherd your people who can lead them who are able to equip them who open doors for them who are able to see them grow and come into greater maturity, that we're able to see people being released to go and impact the nations. Lord, this is supreme. This is incredible. That you could have chosen us, lowly us, lowly me, 
with all my weaknesses, all my insecurities, all my failings. And yet, Lord, you've entrusted the things of your kingdom to us this morning. And we want to say thank you. But in that, Lord, we also know it's, we're not here just to hang in there, just hoping that we're going to get through each day, each week, each year. But Lord, your heart is for us to flourish, for us to thrive, for us to, to live life to the fullest, to so enjoy this call that you've placed upon us. Yes, of course, there are pain. Yes, there are disappointments. Yes, there are challenges, probably around every corner. But even in those challenges, Lord, let us remember that you have overcome on our behalf. That we don't have to be pulled down by, by just the, 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 the weight or even the enormity of the task. But Lord, you would want us to so thrive and flourish in this great call that you have for us. And so Father, my pray for those this morning who may be in the place where they don't feel like they're thriving where the weight of ministry is, has almost at times become unbearable, Lord. That they feel like they are, are carrying such a load that there is no more joy in it. Father, I want to ask that even now, through just the life and the power of your Holy Spirit, that, Lord, you would come and just refresh again in a sovereign, supernatural way. That you would release even your life now into the hearts and the lives of every one of us here this morning. Where the weight of ministry has become so heavy, Lord, I ask that you would lift that burden even now in the name of Jesus. Even the invitation that you give to us to come to you, come to you, you who are weary, heavy laden, burdened, and you say, I will give you rest. And this morning, Lord, I ask that we would find your rest. Your rest and that which you've called us to do. And not only would we, would we find your rest, but Lord, we'd find supernatural energy, Lord. Your energy that works so powerfully in us coming to the fore. That it would be less of us and more of you, Lord. Less of our skills and more of your anointing. Less of us busy with other things rather than being busy, in, in inverted commas, in your presence sitting at your feet and drawing from you. And so, Father, even as I've shared these reflections, as some of the things I've learned over the last 29 years, I ask, Lord, that you would just highlight maybe one or two of those things that folk here this, this afternoon would be able to own and would be able to apply and say, yes, Lord, I want to make an adjustment there. Yes, maybe my marriage is under pressure and I haven't given my, my wife or my husband the necessary time or, or attention. Lord, today I repent of that and I ask that you would forgive me and that you would help me to do that. And so whatever it may be, maybe just for a moment, just in the quietness, just between you and God, just lay some of those things before him and say, Lord, won't you do that? Won't you work those things out? Won't you help me to make whatever adjustment I need to make so that I'm honoring you, not just in my life, but in this great call that you got for me. Thanks for joining us for today's message. Don't forget to check out our website or visit City on a Hill International on Instagram or Facebook for our updates, celebration times, or ways you can get involved. We are also streaming our message on Facebook Live, so make sure you join us or share the post. Thanks again for checking out our podcast. We'll see you soon.